Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for, thank you so much for this time uh, of worship, these songs that uh, have just so moved me this morning, Lord. I pray that we could continue to worship you through just listening to your words, through your table, and praising you with our whole hearts in the, the music we have to come. May you give me the words to say, and may you give us the ears uh, to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I heard something loud overhead, and immediately I woke up. Have you ever woken up in a dark room and had no idea where you were? I mean, totally forgotten where you were. I woke up in this room, this strange room in a strange basement with no windows to a strange noise. It was dark. Can't see your hand in front of your face, dark, and I was totally blind. And I wanted nothing more than to jump up and turn on the light. And so I jumped out of bed, and immediately I tripped over something big in the middle of the floor. I thought, what kind of genius left that in the middle of the floor for me to trip on? Who's trying to sabotage me here? I make it to the wall, and I start rubbing my hands against the wall, trying to find that, have you ever done this? Trying to find the light switch in the dark. Right? When about halfway through, I hear something crash down next to me. I'm totally lost. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I get a little paranoid and think, is someone throwing things at me? What's going on here? And then I hear it, that strange noise above my head again. And a dozen worst-case scenarios run through my mind. What is going on? And then I finally found the light switch. I turned it on, and I started remembering where I was. A buddy and I had traveled to Wichita, Kansas, for a concert, and his parents were from Wichita, and so we slept in their parents' basement. And I drew the short straw, and so I got to sleep in this tiny little basement bedroom without a window. And now my eyes were adjusting from the dark to the light, and the light was revealing the truth of the room and just how very wrong I was. No one was trying to sabotage me on the floor. I had left my own suitcase right in the middle, wide open, all my clothes around it to trip over three times. And nobody was throwing things at me, of course. I knocked a poster off the wall trying to find the switch, and it fell down, and I got to explain a broken frame to the parents the next day. And, of course, the sound above my head was nothing more than my friend trying to get a midnight snack raiding his parents' fridge in the middle of the night and dropping the mayonnaise jar half awake. When I was in the dark, I was blind. I was paranoid. I wasn't thinking right. I wasn't seeing right. I wasn't seeing the things the way they really were in the dark. And then when I turned on the light, everything started making sense. Life can be like this sometimes, can't it? We know we've spent parts of our lives in the darkness. You know you've made a wrong decision, right? Who's never made a wrong decision? No, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand on that. Right? We've all made wrong decisions. We've all taken wrong paths. We've all looked back and said, why did I do that? And we all know we've spent times of our lives stumbling around in the dark until we turn on the light. A few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 8, and there Jesus made this claim about himself. And he said this, I am the light. I am the light 
of the world. We saw him in those, in those verses Daryl read just a second ago. We saw him make that claim again. I am the light. Light meant something very specific in the ears of his audience because in the Old Testament, light was something God used as a way to talk about how he guided, how he was salvation, how his commands show us how to live, how he brings us life. And here Jesus makes a claim twice in two chapters, I am the light. And so years later, one of his disciples named John sat down to write a book about Jesus' life. That's the book we're reading in the Gospel of John here. And he's going to tell us a story now that's going to illustrate and act as proof for that very claim, that Jesus is the light. So we're going to start where Daryl did a minute ago in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, as he talking about Jesus here, as he went along, he saw, saw a man blind from birth. Here's a person whose whole life has been defined by suffering. Think about that, blind from birth? He's never seen a blue sky. He's never seen the faces of the people he loves. He's been rejected by his family, left to beg out on the side of the road, listening as life passes him by for decades. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, listen, listen to this question, listen to the assumption they make in this question. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in Jesus' day, a lot of people assumed that physical ailments were a divine punishment, a punishment from God for moral failure. And that's what Jesus' disciples, that's what their question assumes here. That God made this man suffer because either him or his parents sinned. That God works like the world's most predictable slot machine. If you put in good works and you pull the lever, you get out health, wealth, Perfect relationships, a nice, easy life, a new SUV. But they're thinking that this man put in some bad work, some sins into the slot machine, pulled the sin lever, and out popped this physical ailment, his blindness, that, that if you, you sin and you pull the slot machine lever, you end up with a small bank account, sickness and brokenness. That's what his disciples are assuming here. And today we call this the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've, you've heard of it, but listen to Jesus turn on the light of truth for his disciples in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man, this man isn't sick because he's done something wrong. No, Jesus says he's suffering so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's suffering so God will be glorified. If you're, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, i got to ask you this. Are you okay with that? Are you okay that someone suffered for decades so that God could be glorified? Are you okay with the reality that you may and probably will endure great suffering in your life and that right in the midst of it, God's going to call you to bring him glory in that moment? 
Are you okay with that? Because God works for his glory, not our comfort. And if we get that, that backwards, we're blind to see how God works. That's what's happening with the disciples here. It's a, a truth we've continued to see in John's gospel. Jesus' disciples were blind here to see how God really works. And Jesus is trying to turn on the light in their minds and reveal the truth of how God does work. They thought God was a slot machine. And they're blind to see how God really is. They think this blind man had just pulled the lever of sin, and that's why this guy is sick. But years later, they're staring the resurrected Jesus right in the face. And God turns on the light and reveals who he really is, and they get it. And after they get it, after the light is turned on, they don't suddenly get from God perfect health and wealth and comfort. Instead, he called those first disciples to die, to be stoned and crucified and worse for his glory. Knowing Jesus, living this Christian life, it isn't all lollipops and unicorn rides. Right? There's days of immeasurable joy, absolutely. But then there's also days of great suffering. And through it all, we give God the glory. Because God works for his glory, not our comfort. So if you've been thinking that the chief goal of how God works in this world, how God works in our lives is for our happiness, our health, our wealth, Jesus wants to turn on the light for you this morning. Because that blindness will cost you everything someday. Someday, you'll be the one who gets the news from the doctor. Someday, you'll be the one who stands over the grave of the one you love. And in that moment, if the peace and hope of Christ is alive in you, even through suffering, everyone will see God's glory displayed in you. I've watched as people in this church have suffered through enormous grief, losing loved ones, but done it with such peace and hope that it's driven their unbelieving children to think about faith again. It's beautiful. But if you reach that moment of suffering and instead you've thought God works for your comfort, you're going to be disappointed and mad at God, just like you're disappointed and mad at a slot machine when you don't get what you think you deserve, that big payout. And I've listened to people talk themselves out of faith because they missed rent last month and had expected God to fill their bank account. There's nothing that blinds us to how God works quite like the prosperity gospel. And here Jesus wants to turn on the light for us. The message of the gospel is not that when you come to Jesus, everything's going to go the way you want in life, but that no matter how it goes, Jesus will be enough. Are we blind to see how God works? Turn on the light. Because God works for his glory, not our comfort. Verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. <clears throat> Very creative solution here. And put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So don't miss the symbolism here. The light of the world just turned the light on of the life of someone who had lived in darkness for 
decades. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. So his neighbors are blind, right? They're blind to see this, this man. They don't even recognize him. And we're often blind to see people for how they really are. Whenever we come to a spot where we see someone, some people, and think that they're so evil that they're past God's redemption, and other people is so good that they're not in need of God's redemption, we've become blind to see people how God sees them. Verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him now uh, how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does, doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perforce to Perform such signs. So they were divided. Then they turned again, again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So the formerly blind man is taken to a group of religious authorities to kind of sort this whole thing out. They're named the Pharisees. He tells them this story, and their excuse to not believe it is, ah, you were never blind in the first place. In the next verses, the Pharisees get a hold of the man's parents. They ask him, how did your son go from being blind to being able to see it? Their answer is very definitive. They say, well, you don't know. And, and if you're reading this story, this is the point where you're thinking, okay, Pharisees, what in the world, guys? I mean, seriously, this guy had gone from being blind from birth to sing overnight and you're missing this? How are you missing this? How are you so blind? This is an incredible miracle that you're missing here. But verse 22 will tell us how. The Pharisees had already decided Jesus was not the Messiah. So even though all this evidence is staring them in the face, they're not willing to believe. They're willing to ignore the facts. Do you have friends like this? The evidence for Jesus is right there. And man, you hope and you pray that they'll come to Christ. But they don't. They're just spiritually blind. The evidence is there for Jesus. The evidence is there that Jesus lived. Greek, Roman, Syrian, Jewish historians all wrote about his life. And we go back and read those today. The evidence is there that Jesus was raised from the dead. If he wasn't resurrected, those in power could have easily shown his body and immediately stopped this whole Christian movement. But even in their records, they never produced that body. And the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection, history shows that they went and died to proclaim it. There's real, his, there's real evidence that Jesus was resurrected. And hopefully, my prayer is that our friends see real, tangible evidence every day in our lives of Jesus' work and how he's still working today. The evidence is there 
that Jesus is Savior and Lord. But like our friends who have the evidence but are still spiritually blind, don't believe, these Pharisees keep denying Jesus. In fact, they'll bring the blind man back again in verse 24 to try to get him to deny Jesus. They're spiritually blind. And we all have people we know. If you're like me, you have people you love who are spiritually blind to Christ. And, and we ask so often, what on earth can I do? How can I help the spiritually blind to find Christ? How can I turn on the light for them? Well, we see the man do that very thing here in this passage. I want you to listen as he repeats the story of what Jesus did for him in his life. In verse 11, he said, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. What's he doing there? He's just telling the story of what Jesus did in his life, right? He does it four times in this passage. He does it again in 15. He says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. He does it in verse 30. He opened my eyes. And then in one of the most powerful sentences in this chapter, he says in 25, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He just kept telling his story. Be this man in the lives of the people around you who are blind to Christ. Your witness is just that. Keep telling the story of what Jesus has done in your life. And even when you feel hesitant and a little awkward to share about your faith, you've got this. You know this. You know your own story. You know what Jesus has done in your life. You can tell someone about that. Turn on the light in the lives of your friends by telling them the story of what Jesus has done in your life. A few months ago, I got a call from a member of our church here. And she kind of walked me through the last few months. She started to share her faith with a coworker, friend from work. And her friend had some questions, and she didn't feel really prepared to give the best explanations. And so we, the three of us went and got coffee. And her friend had never believed in Jesus and was considering him for the first time. We had this great discussion, and her friend has since come to faith. And here's why. Because a member of this church was willing to simply tell the story of what God had done in her life, even when she didn't have the best answers to all the, the questions her friend could ask. She was willing to tell a coworker the story of what God had done in her life. And then she followed it up by showing her just incredible love. And heaven's going to be a little crap more crowded because she shared her story. Every Christian has a unique story of what God has done in our lives. A story where God's the main character, not us. For the man in this passage, his story was pretty simple. I was blind and now I see. So for all of those who trust Christ, how can we help the blind see? Just keep telling the story. Turn on the light. Keep telling the story of what Christ has done in our lives and tell the blind see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
Ah, okay, so what has Jesus really opened this man's eyes to see? To see him, to see Christ, to see the truth, to see the light. Jesus has been using this entire physical healing and miracle to teach this man, the Pharisees, and us a spiritual truth. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. This man was blind his entire life, right? And then this miracle of sight happened. But the true miracle is his faith. He goes from calling Christ the man they call Jesus in verse 11 to, did you see that in verse 38? He worships him as Savior and God. It's a powerful story. And here's the main question of the story. Who's blind? Who's blind in this story? The have-it-all-together, highly educated, know-it-all Pharisees? Or a poor, begging, blind man, rejected from birth? At first, when you're reading this story, if you had never read this story before, as you're going through it, you'd think, well, the blind man's probably the blind character. I mean, it kind of makes sense. But Jesus has a way of turning things upside down. Because by the end of the story, we find that it's the blind man who sees and the Pharisees who are blind. For this man, the light is turned on in his life. Not when Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, but when he says in verse 38, Lord, I believe. Because we are all blind until we believe in Christ. Who's blind? We're all blind, stumbling around in the darkness of life until we believe. We're all blind until we believe in Jesus. And Jesus sums up, it's pretty convenient, he sums up the meaning for this whole story in verse 39 for us. When he said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I have come so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now that seems upside down, doesn't it? The Pharisees would never, ever have thought of themselves as spiritually blind, and yet that's exactly what Jesus says they are. And if they could be, we know we have to ask ourselves, are we blind? Some of us think we've got it all together. The life is really going just fine without putting God first. Maybe you're pretty good at your job, pretty good with your money, but you might actually be in the same spot the Pharisees were in, thinking you can see when you can't. And Jesus' message here is that he's come so that those who see will become blind, that those who think they've got life figured out without God can recognize their blindness and allow Jesus to turn on the light for us this morning. And I know that can be painful and a hard realization to come to. When we're in a dark room and someone flips on the light, maybe this happened to you this morning, what do you do? Ah, turn it off. It hurts a bit. But consider just for a second, what will happen when you face that next dark moment in life? Will being pretty good at your job help? Or will you be stumbling around in the darkness, grasping for the light? Jesus came so that those who see will become blind. Or maybe for others of us, 
you know you're struggling. You know you're in a, a, a dark place, that you're wandering around in the darkness. You know that things aren't quite life, right in life. But you haven't been able to figure out the answer. And Jesus' message here is that he's come so that the blind will see. And for you, Jesus wants to turn on the light this morning to show you that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that when you come to him in faith, he will begin to reveal the truth of the way the world is and who God is and who you are in a way you've never known as you've walked through the darkness in life. Jesus came so the blind will see. Turn on the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning that we come uh, before you, Lord, before your word. Lord, as we come to this, this, this time of communion, I pray that you would uh, shine the light in, in places in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that uh, have been left in darkness. I pray that, that we, would, we would all be able to consider you in a light we haven't before and, and see ourselves as redeemed people of your grace. We love you. Amen.